Welcome to Practical Christian Living. As we find ourselves in obedience, doing what God says, there's a power that comes with it. And that could be applied to any promise God has given us or anything God has said to us, like, be thankful for all things, for this is God's will for you. If we go away doing what he said, there is power in the command. Be thankful in all things. That's the command we're given in the Bible. In all things, really? Romans chapter 8 tells us God can work all things for His good for those who love Him. Today on Practical Christian Living, we're in Luke 17 as we see the obedience and grateful heart of a Samaritan leper healed by Jesus. May we be more like the 10th leper, grateful and never taking the work of God in our lives for granted. Here's part two of our study with Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Now, the Bible tells us to be thankful, both in the Old and the New Testament. It tells us a lot to be thankful. Example would be Psalms 107.1, which says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. And you can read literally dozens of passages like that throughout the Old Testament sometimes over and over again in one psalm. In the New Testament, if we think about God's Word and what God tells us to do, listen to what 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says. In everything, give thanks. In a moment, we're going to talk about Jesus telling the lepers what to do. And as the lepers did what He said, there was power to be healed in that. And so when Jesus tells us what to do in His Word, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Not only are we told to do it, but we're told the reason that we are to do it because it's the will of God for us. He wants us to be thankful. As I read through the scriptures, I find at least three reasons that we should be thankful. Number one, James 1:17, that God is giving us all kinds of things. When it talks about sin in James chapter one, it says we are enticed and then we are drawn away. And when it's full grown, there's death. Sin is sin because it has something inherent in it that is wrong. It is immoral in itself. That's sin. It's not sin because God said it was sin. That's a trespass. It's a whole different category. Sin is sin because it is inherently deceptive, destructive, and brings about death. And so at the end of that passage, he says, in contrast to sin, which we, sometimes we think we need, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. That's James 1.17. Everything that you need, you don't need that sin. You're dead to sin, Romans tells us. But every good and perfect gift has come down from the Father of lights. And if God gives us every good and perfect gift, then we should certainly be thankful to Him. I think of Ephesians 3.20, which says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That is the God who we serve. And God is so faithful in doing that. I remember when we first started the church in 1985, we had, me and my wife with just Jessica had moved out to Star Pass. There's a little condominium that we rented out there. And uh, I, w I would walk out to the little, that little park area in the middle of these condominiums. And I would walk out there and I would pray. And I remember in faith, this was my faith, God, if you just bring 300 people to the church, 
oh God, I'll teach them and I'll love them and I'll, I'll be the best pastor that I can possibly be. And I think back to those days, I think I've God going, okay, yeah, Robert, I'll do that. I'll do that for you. God does so much more than we ever thought. He exceeds our expectations. He does above and beyond whatever we think. And for those reasons, we should be thankful. The second reason that I think we should be thankful is not just that God is giving us things, but that God is working everything in our lives. Every experience that we have, the Bible says that God is working together for our good if we love him and we're called according to his purpose. Are you loved by God? Are you called according to his purpose? Then whatever difficulty, struggle, hard time, good time, anything you face, God is working together for the good. Now, I can be honest. Sometimes I've wished that God would just say, I'm going to make everything good for you. But that's not what it says. It says that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him. And if God's working all things together for me, then I should be thankful for that. I'm reminded also of Matthew 6.33 that says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given unto you. He's talking about your needs. He says, Your father knows what you need before you ask him, and he takes care of the birds. He, he clothes the lilies. And that if you would be about God's business, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then God will be about your business. He'll give you everything that you need, just like Romans 8.28 tells us. The third reason that I think that we should be thankful from the word comes from Philippians 4, 6 and 7. That's a passage I think we should all have memorized. And it tells us that God will give us a sound mind. It gives a command. It starts off with a command. Be anxious for nothing. And I'm glad that God doesn't leave it there. Because just saying to me, don't be anxious, makes me anxious. If somebody says, you don't be anxious, you would, why? Is there a reason to be anxious? Why shouldn't I be anxious? God says, be anxious with nothing, but everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. There's a reason I know that passage so well, because when I lay down to sleep and I've got something on my mind that keeps me awake, I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about something at the church. I'm worried about somebody at the church. I'll start to go through that passage. Be anxious about nothing, but everything with prayer and supplication. I'm going to ask you now for this thing that I'm worried about. And I start to pray for them. And then it says with thanksgiving. So I'm able to back up a little bit and start thanking God for all of the things that he has done in my life. Thanking him for how he's moved and what he's done and what he's worked and how he's loved me and how he's called me from the very beginning. And the Bible says, and the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. That God says, if you will do this, then you will not be anxious. That's the way you overcome anxiety. And I believe that if we can keep those things in mind, that we can understand there is reason to be thankful. I understand you may be facing a dark, difficult time. I understand that you may be facing the darkest of your days. But there's still means to be thankful. There's still reasons to be thankful for all that God has done. Let's turn to the text. Let's unpack this a little bit. In verse 11, it says, now what happened as he went to Jerusalem, this is near the end of his ministry and he's on his way back up to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. He had already met some Samaritans. He met the woman at the well and he spent a couple of days with the people that came out to meet her. The Samaritans, you remember, were a different people group and there was a prejudice between the people who lived in Israel than the Samaritans. They didn't worship the same. 
They didn't look the same. They weren't the same people. They didn't have the same politics. But the Lord said to the woman at the well, one day people will worship God in spirit and in truth. And all of those differences don't mean anything. So he goes through Samaria and parts of the Galilee. And then he entered a certain village. And there he met 10 men who were lepers. And let's just for a moment consider what these men have gone through. They have an infectious disease, highly infectious. They are quarantined. They're told by the law that if anybody gets too close to them, that they have to cry out unclean. They have to cover their beards and they have to cry out unclean, unclean. Can you imagine what that must have been like? From the first time that these 10 men individually discovered a white spot on the end of their finger or maybe felt it on the end of their nose or felt it on their ear. And they went to the priest and they said, there's something here. And the priest told them it was leprosy and that they had to remove themselves from the people. They could never hug their children again. They could never hug their spouse again. They would be completely isolated. We can relate to that some, huh? We come into this place. We're so used to showing our love by embracing. Some of you haven't even stopped doing it. You're still doing it. Even though we know that we're living in a precarious time. Well, these men couldn't hug their families, but they found community together. Isn't that interesting? These 10 lepers were together. They found that community. Maybe there was safety in numbers. Maybe there was security in numbers. Certainly there was companionship in numbers. And you also can fellowship with people who have gone through through the same thing you've gone through. These men had life experiences. And I'll take it that not all of them were Samaritans because Jesus makes a reference to this one being a, a foreigner, that these were people that had, to, had their lives go through this. Their worlds were turned upside down. Their life turned on a dime. It was going one direction. They probably never thought it could take place until suddenly it changed. And it says they stood at a far off and we understand why, because they can't get close. But these lepers had no doubt heard that Jesus had healed a leper. This is near the end of his ministry. In the beginning of his ministry, one of the first miracles that he does, he gives that great sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. Starts with the Beatitudes and ends with, if you build your house on the rock, the winds and the rain are going to beat against it, but it's going to stand. And then he walks down and there's a leper at the bottom. And Jesus reaches out and touches that leper. It's not the only leper that he heals. And news must have circulated in the leper communities. I can't imagine that it didn't, that a leper had been healed. We know there were blind men as Jesus went by who cried out for help just knowing that Jesus was passing by. So these lepers cried out at a distance and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, the end of verse 13. That's simply their prayer. Have mercy on us. Again, God knows what we need before we even ask him. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. I, I found it interesting when I study the miracles of Jesus that he never prays, that he usually commands. But even at times like this, he doesn't even give a command. The command he gives is not to the leprosy at all. The, he does it different all the time. And, and I got to tell you, I'm glad for that as well. I'm glad that Jesus doesn't work the same way because we would think that we have to work in methods. If the Bible says, and then Jesus laid his right hand on them and then he prayed and they were healed, that is exactly how we would do healings. But they're all different. 
Even when they're similar, they're different. We have one blind man, he spits on the ground and rubs mud in his eye. We have another blind man that he spits in his eyes and then takes dirt and rubs them in his eye. And I got to think, if you're the blind man, by the time you've been spit on and had mud rubbed in your eyes, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have done this. And Jesus says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And you're like, no problem. <laughs> I have no problem being obedient to what you're saying now. I'm going to get this spit mud out of my eyes. But he simply gives them a command to go. Go show yourself to the priest. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. As they were obedient to the word of God, God worked in their lives. And I got to think that this is the verse that, though this is the verse that stands out to me the most, I've got to think that this is such a powerful application that God gives us all kinds of directions on how we're supposed to live. And if we would be obedient to those things, God tells us about how we are to live in our marriages. God tells us how we're supposed to treat people. God doesn't tell us who to marry. If you're single, you may have flipped through your Bible hoping to point to a name, you know, Rachel or Leah or something. So God would tell you who to marry. God, God doesn't tell us what car to drive, except if you have a Honda Accord and they were all in one Accord, the Bible says. It's funny, it still gets, after 35 years, it still gets laughs. And that's why I keep saying that stupid joke. Doesn't tell you what kind of car to drive. Doesn't tell you what city to live in. Doesn't tell you who you're going to marry. You've got to pray and you've got to seek God. And you've got to make the, a prayerful decision on those things. But the Bible will tell you how to live in that marriage. And I believe that if you will be obedient to those things, you know, the Bible says women respect your husbands. And I think there's something about men that we need to be respected. Some women are like, yeah, but you don't deserve it. You don't know my husband doesn't deserve respect. But there's something about respect given that men need. Not saying they don't need love as well. And there's something about women that they need love. And so the Bible says, well, husbands, love your wives. Women, respect your husbands. And as we find ourselves in obedience, doing what God says, th there's a power that comes with it. And that could be applied to any promise God has given us or anything God has said to us, like be thankful for all things, for this is God's will for you. If we go away doing what he said, there is power in the command. I don't know what it's going to be, but God blesses those of us who are obedient to him. And so as they go, they are healed. And then in verse, verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, all, all 10 of them were healed and just kept going to the priest. But one of them, when he saw he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. Can you see the emotion there? With a loud voice, he glorifies God. His whole life has just been turned right side up. He has met the Savior and he has cleansed him. And he fell down on his face at his feet, gave him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. This is important because in other places around this in Luke, we're seeing the kingdom of God is being transferred from the Jews because they've rejected him over to those in the highways and the byways. And there's no one more in the highways and the byways than a Samaritan leper. And then he says, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? That's got to be one of the most powerful questions of Jesus. Are we so much a product of our culture that we're like the nine? That God can do something miraculous for us and we can walk away forgetting what he's done. And he said to him, arise and go your way. Your faith has made you whole. 
we have the worship group come back up now, please? We consider this last, this last section. Arise and go your way and your faith has made you whole. We know the Bible says that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that you can move mountains. What was the faith of these men? It was when they stood afar off and said, Lord, have mercy on us. That's all they needed to do. Enough faith to be able to ask. At one point when Jesus talks about faith, the disciples say, well, Lord, give us more faith. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you don't understand that if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to a mountain, be removed and cast in the sea? Do you have enough faith to go to Jesus? Do you have enough faith to ask him? Is there something going on in your life now? The Bible says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And we have not because we ask not. And these lepers were bold enough to believe that God could do anything, to believe that Jesus could heal them of that. I think we put restrictions on God by our own restrictions. God won't do that. We might believe that God can do anything, but we say that God won't do that. And they found God intervening and doing great things. And I believe that if we will have that kind of faith that God will do that as well. May I encourage you to be thankful in everything to take time no matter what you might be going through in life now. Maybe you're living in dark times. Maybe it's even really dark times. Maybe you've heard that you have a terminal disease and you're thinking, what do I have to be thankful for? May you come before your Savior and thank you for all that He has given Him. Thank God. Thank Him for His grace, for your love, for your mercy. We thank you for your son, for our lives, for our gifts, for your spirit, for your call, for our abilities, for what you have already done, for what you are doing and what you are going to do. Thank you for love and for the people whom we love and for the people who love us. Thank you for the people who have helped us and the people that we can help. Thank you. Thank you for this day, and thank you for every day. Thank you for good times, and thank you for hard times that you use in our lives. Thank you for your provisions, and thank you for your lessons. Thank you for our eyes and our ears. Thank you for our mind. Thank you for the air we breathe, and for the beauty, for the sunsets and the mountain peaks. Thank you for time, time to love and be loved, Thank you for the struggles, for the trials that have taught us so much. Thank you for being there in the darkness and thank you for being there in the valley of the shadow of death. Thank you for our strength, for our spirit, for our food, for our breath, for this planet, for our universe, for opportunities, for courage, for our health if we have it, for our eyesight if we have it, for our hearing if we have it. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. Thank you for giving us real life. Thank you for life after death. Thank you for our family. Thank you for the grace to face difficult times and sicknesses. Thank you for the ability to work. Thank you for the life lived for you. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for the ability to be grateful for all you have done. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. 
Stand with me and pray, would you? Father, we are so thankful as we come before you and remember all you have done for us and forgive us when we have said there is nothing to be thankful for. We will one day stand in your presence and we will look back on our lives and we will remember that it wasn't about what we accumulated. It wasn't about experiences we had that we paid for, but it was about being content with you and being fulfilled by what you've given us. And so with hearts full of gratitude, with full of thankfulness, we thank you that this is your will for us, that we would live this way. And we pray that you would help us to walk in this truth that we have discovered in your word here this night. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed. For just a couple of minutes, I'd also like to ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. We'll dismiss you here in a moment, I promise. But I want to give you an opportunity if you have never given your life to Christ. You don't become a Christian just because you start going to church. You don't become a Christian by osmosis. There's got to be a point of faith. That point of faith looks a lot different on a lot of people, but you have to have a deliberate moment. Some would say you need to be intentional about inviting Jesus in. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You have to say, Lord, I want you in my life. I receive you as my savior. You have to receive him. John 1:12 says, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. And if you're here today and you've never invited him in, I want to give you that opportunity. But I also want to give an opportunity to those that are here that made commitments a while ago. But maybe it was too hard. Maybe as you started walking with him, it wasn't what you expected. And so you, you walked away. The seed that God had planted there was choked out. Or maybe the cares and the worries of this world, the desire for riches choked out the word of God and you walked away. You're like the prodigal son. You're like the prodigal daughter. But remember, we have that story where the father runs to the prodigal and embraces him and puts a robe on his back and a ring on his finger. And says, my son who was dead is now alive. And so you too can come back. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand and say, I want to come back to Christ tonight. If you're here tonight, you want to give your life to Christ for the first time or you want to return to him, then simply raise your hand. Lift your hand up now. Lift it up high so I can see it. I want to make my way around the room and I want to respond to your hands. God bless you, ma'am. Back over here to my left. That's great. God bless you there all the way in the back. God bless you, ma'am. That's awesome. God bless you, sir. Back on the back row, your hand went up immediately. God bless you. Anyone else? You're coming to Christ. You're coming back to Him. You're surrendering your life to Him. God bless you there. The child with his hand lifted there. So many kids during this time have committed their lives to Christ. Anyone else? All right. God bless you. Back over there. That's wonderful. You can put your hands down. And I would like everyone, including those who raised their hand, to repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned. And I know that my sin has separated me from you. But I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Welcome to the family of God. Amen. Very excited for you. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kgun 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.